I mean, it fits with this, uh, this, uh, this weekend, though, right? It is uh, giving, uh, you know, giving to Caesar what is Caesar's is something that Jesus said. It's something that, as followers of Jesus, we want to do. We want to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And so we're going to talk about, you know, how do God and the state relate? Uh, what does it mean to submit? Uh, is there a place for protesting? Uh, I'm just not going to give kind of, okay, is the particular issue in Hong Kong now, is that something we should protest about? I'm not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about other things, but hopefully it will give people an idea. Okay, this is what the Bible says about submission, about you know protesting, so that we can then apply that you know yourself. You can think through the issues. You can think what you should do. So we're gonna yeah, I'm gonna talk. What does the Bible teach about this, rather than these issues? And I know that you will still maybe feel strongly about some things. Uh, please, as you later discuss, you know be slow to speak, slow to get angry, uh, quick to listen, those kind of things. Okay, but it is an important topic. I think it's good for us to think about that. We don't often think about these kind of things, right? It, it forces us to think about new things. We just think, okay, I pray, I read my Bible, uh, that's my Christian life. Actually, there's more to think about, and that's what we're going to do today. And I'm not going to say everything that needs to be said. Um, if you've been with us on Sunday, you've heard so many things, right? We know the gospel is the most important. The gospel is not, you know, this side is God's side and that side is not, and, and those kind of things. Uh, this is just very limited. Okay, what should we do with Caesar? So uh, I hope that's useful, and uh, I hope we'll listen humbly. And so we're going to pray now, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, what your word says. Thank you, that's all true. Uh, help us to listen, uh, help us to uh, honor what we need to honor, help us to uh, submit what we need to submit, help us to obey you, help us most of all to know what it means to follow Jesus and to want to do that. Give us all uh, yeah, soft hearts, you give us soft speech to each other. Uh, pray that. Uh, uh, yeah, we would be Christians who can talk about these things in love, uh, to know what your word says, and then to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Yeah, God and Caesar. Caesar, of course, from Jesus saying. Now, we need to think, how do they relate, isn't it? That is the first thing we need to think about. And I'm sure other churches, and maybe this church as well, right, the first thing that people say, well, go to Romans 13, right? It's very clear. Uh, if you're not in Romans, you can open it up, Romans 13. Oh yes, handout. Good point. So there's, a, there's an extensive handout. It comes after Barry's handout. So it's on page 15. On page 15 it says, Caesar's Jew, and then you get a handout. So what I have here on the PowerPoint is just some pictures and diagrams and maybe some quote so that we don't have to go all over the Bible. Uh, so if you're not there, page 15, Caesar's due. Because the problem is we need to go over the whole Bible. Uh, it's not that Romans 13 is everything that the Bible has to say about the government and how we should relate. It's not the only passage, there's a lot more. And so what we need to do is, is put it all together. And so if, if you are in Romans 13, it's very clear what it says, right? So 13 verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except that which God has established. And the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And I mean, it's very strong, right? This government is instituted by God. You should submit. Uh, later, it says, well, he's the servant of God. This is God's servant. That's how you should see the government, God's servant. It's a very strong language. But then you, you read through, say, the book of Acts. You know, here's history, here's the early church. Um, is it so positive about the government? Well, you, you, see, you see Christians being arrested. Uh, you see governing officials who keep Paul in prison just so they hopefully they can get a bribe. You know, uh, let me do the Jews a favor and hand them over to them. You know, here's a bunch of corrupt officials. Uh, sometimes there's nice people, you know, they, uh, they, uh, they listen, they become Christians. But, you know, you read the Bible and government isn't always very good. So let alone a place like Daniel, right? Here's the Babylonian Empire. Uh, is the Bible very positive about it? Well, no. The Babylonian Empire, they're a beast. Uh, Revelation picks up that imagery. So the Revelation 13, that's another passage about the government. And then there's this evil beast sent by Satan that comes out of the sea and tramples on Christians and forces everyone to worship it. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but it's, it's horrific, it's terrifying. That's also in the Bible. What do we do? Eh? It's God's servant and it's Satan's beast. How can they both be true? Well, some people think, okay, well, the Bible writers had different views, right? Paul was pro-government, uh, John was pro-democracy. That's why, you know, we get these different views. Uh, I don't think so. We need to find a way to put them together. How can we put these views together? How can we put the Bible's view together so that we have a, a fuller picture and we, in different situations, different things apply? So, Jesus talks about Caesar getting Caesars and God gods. How does that work? Well, some people, they talk about kind of, you know, uh, we have two different spheres, right? Uh, God has his area and Caesar has his area. Uh, that's what a lot of people think. And then, you know, what is in, in God's area? Well, we have like faith and, and prayer and church and reading your Bible and salvation and eternal life. And that is kind of God stuff. And, and then Caesar, well, he does, well, what have I put here? Work, immigration, trade, uh, lawmaking, healthcare, the kind of the, the, the secular realm. That's where Caesar rules and, and God rules, almost like the spiritual realm. You get that quite a lot, right? You know, you're at work and you try to say something Christian and they say, well, keep, keep your faith private. It's fine that you're a Christian, just keep it to yourself. And it doesn't have anything to do with life here. And some Christians here will think that, oh, you know, the gospel, that's just, I believe in Jesus, I get eternal life. But I, I'm not sure if this is the right picture. You know, how can Caesar be, be serving God here? Uh, how does this fit with Jesus saying, you know, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If in a way, well, Jesus' area is only those spiritual things on the left. Now, I think uh, the Bible links government with things like parents, uh, the fifth commandment, and it is more like delegated authority. 
God has instituted Caesar well, to run the world, in some sense. You know, God often does that. How does God rule the world? Actually, he makes humans kind of in charge of the world, right? He gives us dominion over the earth, and you take care of the world. So God delegates authority. How does God look after children? Well, he gives children parents. How does God run countries? Well, he puts a government in place. How does God run your company? He puts a boss. Right? Delegated authority. God, you know, I'm sure you know delegation at work, right? You have somewhere, if you have a job, there's a CEO. And then he appoints a new manager for you. Uh, that manager is appointed by the CEO. He is over you. But at the same time, that manager is still underneath the CEO. Does that make sense? And I think that is makes more sense of what the Bible says. Because in a way, we need someone in between. Because there's, there, there's so much uh, that needs to be done that, that God doesn't just do directly. Or that God doesn't speak about. You know, uh, should you drive on the left side of the road or on the right side of the road? Have you ever thought about that? Which side should you run? Does the Bible say anything about it? No. Actually, God appoints a government and the government, they make laws and they kind of, they run life. Life wouldn't run without someone kind of being in charge. Okay? So, this talks more about an institution. And, uh, just like parents, just like your boss, it's an institution. And as an institution, I think that's the way Paul mainly talks about it. Government is an institution by God, and then it makes sense. This is God's servant. God appoints a government, and that's good for us. However, uh, does the government do what it's supposed to do? That's the question. Maybe the government usurps its place. Uh, they kind of they ignore God, and you know the particular individual that is the government now, or the emperor. They ignore what God says. They go their own way. A bit of a distinction between the institution and the individual. I think that makes a lot of sense. By the way, if you're here, if you're not a Christian, I don't know where the institution comes from if there's no God. Now, what gives a bunch of guys in Admiralty the right to demand 17% of your pay each year? Right? What gives them the right? Actually, God, Christians believe, you know, an institution, that it's God's institution. But what does this mean? Okay, we have God and Caesar. Well, if Caesar is still under God, then ultimately we obey God all the time, right? We just we should obey what God says. What does that mean? Well, let's think of three different areas. One is where God and Caesar agree. So don't murder. God says don't murder, and also the government's well, all governments in the world, right? They say murder is illegal. There's no conflict there. We can submit to the government because in a way it's the same as what God says. So that's not really an issue, right? We, we don't have any issues there. Uh, there's, on the right side, of course, is an area of... Yeah, submit. Uh, there's a middle area, though, where God gives freedom. Like I said, God doesn't tell us should we drive on the right or on the left. We have freedom, right? God doesn't mind, but he gives that to the government. And the government says, okay, drive on the left, so we drive on the left. The Bible says pay taxes, doesn't say how much. That's for the government to set, right? Uh, the Bible doesn't uh, say, do you need a permit for something? That's it's for the government, right? So 
in a certain place, Caesar has his due. And I think if God gives freedom, well, you can submit. If God says, okay, here, this is where the government is in charge, you can submit to the government. Now, that's, uh, often these are small things, permits, you know, driving limits, recycling, the kind of annoying things where you feel, oh, I don't want to submit to the government sometimes. And of course, there's this side on the right, conflict. Uh, conflict, what if God and Caesar say different things? Well, I think it's very simple. That's where you need to disobey. Right? It's, it's very simple. You know, if God says, uh, you know, uh, worship idols, then it's, if God says, don't worship idols, the government says you should. Well, you don't. Right? You just go with God. You disobey. And there's plenty of examples of that in the Bible. Right? Uh, idolatry, Daniel 3 and 6, you know, go and worship this statue. And the three boys say, no, we don't do that. Uh, pray only to the king, Daniel says no. Um, evangelism, right? the apostles are told, you know, uh, don't speak about Jesus anymore. And the apostles say, well, we must obey God rather than men. It's very simple, if there's a conflict, you disobey all the other cases, you submit. Um, murder. Right, Exodus 1, the Hebrew midwives. You know, whenever there's a baby boy born among the Hebrews, throw them in the Nile. And they don't do it. Shows actually that it's all of, all of life, right? You know, babies. That's, it's basically abortion. That, that is a, a God issue. God is not just faith and prayer and those things. Now, this sounds very simple. Of course, in practice, life is a lot more graded, a lot more shaded. Uh, a certain law, is this really neutral or is it not neutral? That's sometimes hard to know. Uh, is this... Okay, it's in a way a neutral law, but is the government putting this law in place for neutral reasons? That's something you can disagree about. Uh, is this law... Uh, it's kind of... It's okay on its own. What if the government thinks differently? They can abuse it in a certain way. Uh, and so suddenly politics is a lot more... Similar. We, we think of kind of laws very simple, you know, don't murder, that's easy, you know, uh, do justice, that's easy. Actually, when you talk about a whole country, when you talk about lawmaking, life is more complex. And that is, I think, why a lot of Christians are struggling. Yeah? Well, what should we do in certain cases? What if it's, it's not directly disobeying, it's not directly sinful, but at the same time it's not neutral either? What do we do? Okay? But in a way, I, I hope you can see this. But at the same, this is not yet things like protesting, right? This is not yet, uh, yeah, can we protest? This is, okay, the government is forcing me to worship idols and I say no. Uh, that's easy. What if, should we campaign to get the government to stop forcing people to worship idols? That's something else. Should we do that by protesting? And that's the question people have. Yes, there is a place for civil, for, for disobeying the government in certain cases, but does that extend to political change and protesting? Well, is there a protesting in the Bible? And I think, I think you ask Christians, and there's, you know, you see some Christians that they see it everywhere, and some people they see it nowhere. And that is one area where we disagree. Um, what can I say about it? The first thing we need to realize is that we're not in a theocracy. Now, this is uh, point two. We're not in a theocracy. I mean, people say, oh, Jesus in the temple, he overthrew the money changers, right? This is someone rebelling against the authority. I, I think that's a misreading. 
Jesus is the Lord, and the money changers are the rebels, and they get kicked out. This is not a rebelling against the authority, this is judgment by the authority. Uh, but how about the prophets? How about the prophet Nathan, Nathan going to David and saying that he's done wrong? How about Amos, uh, the sheep herder, who goes to the king and the rich people and says, you know, you should do justice. Isn't that protesting? Isn't that calling out injustice? Isn't that, you know, that's what we should do as a church, being prophetic? Well, it's not quite the same because Israel was a theocracy. Israel was God's nation. They had signed up. We're going to obey God's law. And the prophet, in a way, he's higher than the king. He is God's spokesman. This is just God calling his people to account. And God is not, uh, this is not changing the world. I mean, God had very little interest in the Edomites and the Moabites and all the other nations. He just talked about his own nation. I mean, that was his plan. I've got my people and they will be a light to the world. Israel would be such a beautiful nation with such wonderful justice and peace and laws. This, this is great. And all the other nations, they see it and they join it. But God was not busy changing the world. The prophets did not go to, you know, uh, to other nations to go and change them. And so if you apply that to the church, well, the, the church is the new Israel. The church is... Um, yeah, you know, you get verses by Peter. Here we go. And Peter says, you know, he applies Israel. You know, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And it's all political, right? People, nation, royal. You are the new Israel, my new nation, the church. And you are my witnesses. You know, live such good lives among the pagans and that people see your good deeds. So that Israel used to be the light of the world, the Middle East. Now Christians, we are the light of the world. But all that prophetic stuff then, all that prophets saying, you know, go and do justice, you know, that's the church. Are we doing justice? Are, are, are we, you know, is there injustice among us? Is there racism among us? Uh, is there poverty among us, that people are suffering in poverty while the rich are feeding themselves? And most of the Bible is addressed to God's people, uh, to the church, in a way. And so it's very different from going to the government, the, non the non-Christian governments, that, you know, th th that's the nations, that's the pagans. And God doesn't have a plan to uh, bring justice by making uh, governments obey him. But one day, one day Jesus will come, he'll sort it all out. But right now it's the church. And we, that's why, but he, what we constantly say on Sunday, the church is something political. Here is a new king with a new people living the way of that king, giving him allegiance. It's the church. And it's in the church that people should see hope. It's in the church that people around us should see life and, and justice and peace and, and all those kind of terms, it's first of all addressed to us. Yeah. So we, we're not a theocracy, so we, we shouldn't, you know, uh, take, okay, that is uh, what the prophets did, that's what we should do here in Hong Kong. At the same time, I would say, but we do live in the world. Why are we no longer a nation somewhere in the Middle East? Why do we live all over the world? 
Well, God's plan is that we would be salt and light, right? That we would be everywhere. That you're not just kind of in one corner, but everywhere. I mean, how can salt affect the meat if it's not spread around? As someone gave a good illustration, right? How can light go everywhere when all the light is just in one place in the world? God has put us everywhere and he wants to use us everywhere. And which means that we can love people everywhere. I think I mentioned that in a sermon a few weeks ago. We shouldn't claim the gospel, but the sign of it is our love. The way the good deeds we do. As Peter says, live your lives, you know, that people see your good deeds. In a way, the church should be known by its amazing love, not just for each other, but it goes outwards. I mean, yes, people need the gospel, but sometimes they need love. You know, you walk on the streets and someone is being murdered. What do you do? Do you say, okay, well, that person is probably not a Christian. I can't expect them to live Christian way. So, um, yeah, I, I can't really tell him not to murder. Maybe I should first tell him the, the gospel, and then when he's become a Christian, I can tell him not to murder. It doesn't work like that, right? No, you go and do something. And we should love people as we have opportunity. Uh, Galatians 6.10 Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. God has given us so many good works that he's prepared for us to do. And we should love people. And love people means doing good. And sometimes loving people can mean political change, right? As you have opportunity. I mean, sometimes people in the Bible had opportunities. Esther, right? There was this government decree to kill the Jews. Esther, she was the queen. She spoke to the king. She was in the right place at the right time, and she had the opportunity to do something. Daniel was in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't make a big nuisance of himself, but, you know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar asked him, what should I do? Well, break up your sins and, you know, start practicing righteousness. It's going to be good. Um, Paul. Yes, he suffered a lot from the authorities, but he was willing to stand on his rights. Hey, I'm a Roman citizen. And you guys should do something different. You shouldn't flog me because I'm a Roman citizen. He was trying to establish legal precedent. People sometimes, if you, as you have opportunity, it would be great if we'd have more opportunities, right? If Christians were more in the world. If the government was full of Christians who could do the right thing. Because sometimes political action is much better. And when we did a talk on slavery some time ago, yeah, the Christians in the, the ancient world, sometimes Christians got money together to buy slaves. You know, here's a slave, and we get the money together, we set them free. Fantastic thing. And yet, isn't it so much better if slavery is just abolished? So much better. Or abortion. It's good to say, okay, I'm not going to have an abortion. Even under the one-child policy, I'm not going to have an abortion. That's good. Isn't it a lot better, though, if abortion is generally outlawed, right? Loving your neighbor means that it's not just about me, it's about my neighbor, those around me. So political change can be a good thing for Christians to do. In fact, we have to add to that, we are not under an authoritarian government. And people in the Bible, yes, they didn't protest. We didn't see Christians in Rome marching through the streets, demanding that the emperor step down. Why don't we see it? Well, it's very simple. They would go to the lions pretty straight away. 
Right? Well, why don't we see Christians in North Korea marching at Kim Jong-un's step down? Oh, come on, they they'd be killed. Of course, people don't protest back then. It's an authoritarian government. The thing is, we now live in a democracy. And just so there are things that we do that are not in the Bible that we can do. Voting. You can vote your leaders out in many countries. That's not in the Bible, right? Christians are never told to vote. Well, yeah, because they were not in a democracy. We are in a democracy, we can vote. So please vote, and vote to the glory of God. Vote out of love for neighbor, for the right person. Now we can write letters and send delegations to people and those kind of things, right? We can, um, yeah, and, and, and even we can protest, right? There you can legally protest. You can apply, I want to have a march, and, and you get that permission and, and you do it. Protesting is allowed. And so if it's allowed and you can love people by protesting, then I think you can. Yes, you don't see it in the Bible, but you don't see voting either. And I think that's how we get to protesting. No, it's not the prophets, it's not Jesus in a temple. Just loving your neighbor and thinking, okay, our situation is different from what it was. So I think for the right issues, you can protest. That's a good thing. I hope all of us would think, if, if I was in Nazi Germany in the 30s, as Jews were more and more, would it be right to call out against it? Would it be right to write a letter and say, uh, I'm, it's very, we're very concerned about the way Jewish people are being treated? I think we now look back on history and, you know, if Christians were silent, it would have been terrible. Uh, many Christians were not silent. I, I was in Auschwitz and there were letters there from, you know, uh, Dutch churches. They didn't, if it was in Dutch, I could read it, but they wrote to the Dutch government. So we, we see what's happening in Germany and, and that's wrong, uh, the way Jewish people are treated. Can you go and speak to them? That's a good thing, right? I hope we agree with that. Uh, I hope uh, the Martin Luther King, the civil rights movement, I hope we, we now look back and, you know, of course we would want to support, right? That's something what they're doing. We wouldn't say, well, uh, all the racism, that's fine. Or we, we, we should just keep quiet. And sometimes you have a responsibility to do something, right? If there is a real, something is really wrong, a real injustice, and you can speak out and you don't do it, wouldn't it be wrong? Uh, what uh, James says, if anyone then knows the good he should do and he doesn't do it, uh, for him it is sin to them. Again, you walk past a murder, it's a great opportunity, of course, but more than an opportunity, right? If you just decide, well, um, I've got something else, something else that's good to do. Surely you would do something if you can. Uh, I'm not saying, I'm not, again, I'm not saying about the current situation, this is what needs to be done. And, but I hope you can see in some cases it's a right to protest. The only question, yeah. And many of us, maybe we don't protest enough, partly because we're just lazy. Uh, a writer says, is our reluctance to protest really the outworking of a genuine prayerful godliness or about a moral laziness and indifference? Apathy masquerading as piety is a poor show. I think for the right issues, I think it's right for Christians to protest. And what Christians have done, you know, in many cases, is right. Martin Luther King, uh, he wrote a letter from the jail 
to Christian, uh, you know, to other pastors who said, oh, you know, you shouldn't make such a fuss. That's not good. Uh, you're disturbing the peace. Uh, it's a very good letter, but he, he says well, the big problem, it's not the, the racists, it's, it's all the people who do nothing. You know, I've reached a regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride towards freedom. You know, it's, it's the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. I hope that makes sense. Of course, the question is how? How should we protest? And we're gonna, uh, and there's two passages that I think are really helpful. Um, and that will, you know, I think this can, we can apply a bit more strongly to the current situation. And the question is how? First of all, Titus. So maybe turn to Titus. Titus 3, 1 to 7. In your Bibles, Titus 3. Let me just read those uh, and verses 1 to 7. And I try to spot a connection because verse 3 and uh, verse 1 it starts remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. So we're talking about submission. Okay. On verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Uh, let's stop there. I think the connection here is really interesting, isn't it? He talks about relating to the outside world, to the rulers and authorities, to, uh, to everyone. And he says, be gentle to everyone, show respect to everyone, be kind to everyone, uh, be submissive and obedient to everyone. But the reason is so interesting, isn't it? Verse 3, at one time we too were foolish. ESV puts a stronger, for, for, and the reason, for at one time we ourselves were also foolish. He's making a parallel between what our situation and them. And so I think he's implying, you know, the government and, and, you know, and people outside the church, yeah, they can be foolish and they can be malicious. I don't know if you've ever tried talking to someone who is really a very diehard atheist and uh, they, 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 their arguments make no sense and you feel so frustrated and you think, why don't he see it? I don't know if you feel that response. Paul says, you know, be gentle to everyone. Why? Because you too were foolish. You were like that. You know, you were a, a terrible person. But Jesus loved you and he saved you. He treated you with grace, not with justice. And so, if you look at all those people out there, you treat them with grace. And that includes the government. That includes submitting to the government. Maybe you think they are foolish and malicious and, and hateful. You were like that. So treat them with grace. Uh, many of the calls these days that we see, it's kind of for, you know, basically they want justice. They, the, the police is wrong, the government is wrong, and they're treated so badly. 
I see Christian Facebook posts full of dog emojis. You don't talk to people like that. If you think that's justice, well, do you want justice for yourself? Do you want God to treat you with justice? No, we don't, right? We are so glad that God treated us with mercy, that he saved us, not because we were so good, but out of his mercy and love. And I think this passage says you should treat other people like that. Submitting to the government is his grace. You treat them better than they deserve. Better than they deserve. Because that's how you've been treated. And so no hateful speech, no insults, always respectful, always kind. That is what Christians should be. And, and, and that, I hope we can see that. that. That is the Christian way. More than that, it's, it's submission to suffering. Uh, so uh, 1 Peter 2, 11 to 25. Um, it's a few pages old, 1 Peter. Again, a big passage on submission. I'm sure we've, uh, you've seen that. So this is the three places that submission to authorities is mentioned. And if you're in 1 Peter 2, we just read those other verses, live good lives among the pagans. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors. So the good deeds that we should do include submitting to authorities. But those authorities aren't necessarily good. Look at verse 18. It's the same passage, same idea. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is, it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. So he says, submit even to harsh authorities, to cruel authorities that you know, they, they do bad to you, they punish you whenever they, uh, uh, for, for no good reason. That, that's what it says, submit even to such authorities. And, and that is being Christ-like, because later it says, well, verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you. What did Jesus do? Well, he committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth, verse 22. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And the, the kind of non-violence thing, you, you see that here in the context of submission. You submit to people, uh, to the government, and, and you're, you're not going to do violence, no threats. You do nothing wrong. And that is what Jesus did. I mean, look at back at verse 20. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. If you do violence, if you protest in a way that is, that is wrong and violent, well, what witness is that? What credit is that? You know, if you trash an MTR station and you get arrested for it, so what? If you do nothing, if you are peacefully protesting, and then you get arrested and beaten up. That is being like Jesus. That is Christ-like. And so again, uh, Martin Luther King, those protests were so peaceful. They trained the protest, you know, the Christians, you know, they spent so much time on non-violence, never do anything back. Always be peaceful, always submit. And that's the thing, we want to learn uh, how can you submit while disobeying? 
You want to disobey unjust laws. You want to tell the government that they're wrong. But you want to do it in a way that is respectful and submissive. That means no violence. That means accepting the punishment. Again, that's what Martin Luther King said. I mean, I think it's a very interesting letter. In the same letter he said this, one who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly, and with a willingness to accept the penalty. I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust, and who willingly accepts a penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice, is in reality expressing the highest respect for the law. Well, if it says, if you break this law, you go to prison, and you break the law, you go to prison, you, you've respected the law, right? You've submitted to the law because you go to prison openly, willingly. You suffer willingly. And actually, that is a great witness. And I think, yeah, non-violent protesting um, can be a great witness. Again, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about the current situation that, that I have the answer. But I think that there should be a place for Christian protesting. And, uh, but yeah, no insults, always respectful, always submissive, including suffering. Suffering, that's what attracts us to Jesus, right? His suffering. That is what speaks of his love. Uh, I think with Christian protest, it's our suffering that will speak of Jesus' love and that will change people. Now, you might think suffering doesn't do much, going to prison doesn't do much. And here's one line, last verse from the Bible Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. You know? Patience and gentleness can do things. Because after all, we have God behind us, right? We're trying to love our neighbor, trying to do something good. Um, if God is behind us, surely he will work through it. Okay, now that is a lot of stuff to take in. I realize that I've talked for 38 minutes. But I hope this has given you some things to think about. However, I want us to also talk about it. So if you go to the last page, there's a few case studies. And so maybe in groups of three or four, maybe you can talk about these things. And these are all hypothetical. They're not real. But at the same time, I think they are realistic. It's been realistic in other countries. What if same-sex marriage gets introduced? Is that a bad thing? Should Christians protest? Uh, there's an example, question two, uh, will be an interesting issue. And then question three about uh, what if China comes in, and here are a few laws they introduce. Should we disobey, or should we submit? So I think we still have some time, so why don't you get into groups of three or four and discuss some of those questions. And then I'll draw, you, draw us back together at the right time.